There once was a guy who who got a job at a restaurant. Anybody ever worked at a restaurant before? It's not an easy place to work. <laughs> well, this guy got a job at a restaurant, and uh, he was given the specific assignment to bust the tables, to clean the tables after people left. He was trained in it. He was taught how to do it, how to do it like he needed to do it. And, and honestly, he was really good at it. He was the best employee at cleaning the tables off of anybody else who worked at this restaurant. But the thing with this guy was his eye would wander and he would watch other people employed by the restaurant do their jobs. And he would get frustrated at the way they did their jobs. And so he took it upon himself in the midst of doing what he was assigned to do, of starting to pick up the slack or what he thought as slack in other people's realm of uh, employment. And so he would see things the, the hosts and the hostesses weren't doing, and he would do that. And he would see things the waiters would miss, uh, and he would do that. He would see things even people in the kitchen weren't doing, and he would do that. But in doing those other things, he wasn't doing what he was hired to do to the best of his ability. The tables started not being as clean. And that was noticed by the people who had hired him. And ultimately, he was fired from his job because he ended up not giving 100% to his assignment, but doling out different percentages of his energy on other people's assignment, missing his role and what he was specifically given to do. And so his assignment was taken away from him. We're going to see something very similar to this today in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. So uh, if you have a Bible with you, open it to Acts chapter 6. Uh, it'll also be on the screen uh, if you have that there. You can also turn in one of the Bibles on the pew rack in front of you. It's on page 914 uh, if you want to grab one of those. You can also find all the notes and scripture uh, announcements and the whole deal on our website at dequeen.church. The very top card will be today's message. You can find it there. Acts Chapter 6. There's a lot going on in Acts chapter 6, but we're going to dive right in and then talk about it for a sec. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now, in, those, or in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, if you're coming to Scripture without a whole lot of backstory and information, a lot of the words in that sentence don't make a whole lot of sense. You see, what's actually going on here is Jesus, the Son of God, came into the world, lived a perfect life, uh, and then he began to go out in public, and he would do miracles, and he would do teachings, and in doing that, he gathered this, this big following. Most of them eventually fell away. But he had a close-knit group of people, about 12 of them and a little bit more than that, who were uh, still hung around. And he would teach these guys and he would train these people. And then Jesus was arrested and crucified, dying for the sins of the world. And then he uh, uh, rose from the dead. And then he had a 40-day period. It's kind of a transition day period. 40 days where he was uh, really giving some incredible theology to these 12 guys. But even those 12 who Jesus has told multiple times throughout being with these guys day in and day out for over two years, 
uh, he would tell him, I'm going to die, I'm going to raise, and then I'm going to leave you, but don't worry, because you're going to get a helper. That's the Holy Spirit. He's going to come, and he's going to help you. And so the end of those 40 days comes, and Jesus goes to heaven, and the disciples are, are left there just amazed. I mean, they just cannot believe what just happened. They keep waiting for Jesus to come back, and an angel finally appears and says, hey guys, just stop and go back to town and wait for the helper to show up. And so they go back to town, and they're praying for days and days, and the Holy Spirit comes, and now these guys who, who have the Holy Spirit step out into the street and start telling people about Jesus, and thousands of people get saved. I mean, by the droves. It's, it's overwhelming to these. They, they have no church training. They have no administrative training. And now they are, you know, for all intents and purposes, the leaders of a mega church on a scale that Americans don't even know about. I mean, this is massive. And people are getting saved left and right, and they're trying to figure this deal out. All they know from Jesus, it's their job to pray and receive word from Jesus and then to tell people about Jesus. That's all they know to do. And so this thing has gotten huge. And as anything that gets huge occurs, there's problems that arise in the midst of it because there's people. And people cause problems. But Jesus still loves people, even the problem people. And so a problem rises up in the middle of all that's going on. Because these people getting saved still bring with them the baggage that they've been raised on, the baggage even of their culture. I mean, look at that verse. It, it talks about some of this. The disciples were increasing in number, so people getting saved all the time. It says, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Now, these, both of these groups are Christians, the way they're talking about it here. And the Hellenists were, were uh, people who mainly just spoke Greek. In this day and time, people spoke a lot of languages, a lot of languages. People spoke Hebrews, people spoke Aramaic, people spoke uh, Greek, some highfalutin people spoke Latin here and there, uh, but everybody spoke Greek. I mean, it was the native language. Everybody spoke it. Everybody did. Well, he says these Hellenists, these are people who really, this is all they spoke. These, in, in today's modern culture, these would be more uh, uh, we, we would call them more modern people who, who, who aren't traditionalists, kind of a mindset. This is really all they speak is the language everybody speaks. They may have relatives that speak other languages, but this is really it. They, they mainly speak Greek. So these are these people, and they have a complaint against the Hebrews. Now, these are Jewish Christians. I mean, the Hellenists that he just talked about who mainly speak Greek are also Jews. They're Jewish Christians who mainly speak Greek. Now you've got these Hebrews. These are Jewish Christians who mainly just speak Hebrew. They're very traditionalist. They've been raised in that culture. They've been taught this from, from tiny babies, and that's really all they speak. They, Hebrew's the language of God. It's the language of the old. That's, that's what God speaks. That's what they taught anyway, and uh, so that's what they spoke, and so the Hebrew speakers were the more traditional speakers, and look at that verse again. What it says, the, the Greek speakers had a complaint against the Hebrew speakers because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. In first century, if you were a widow, you had no way of, of making money if you did not have a husband or children old enough to work and pay, uh, help pay for you. Um, because that's just the way the culture was back then. It's not right, but that's just the way it was. And uh, so you had the Greek speakers who had um, widows among their ranks. You had the Hebrew speakers who had widows among their ranks. Uh, but most of the leadership was made up of Hebrew speakers. 
And so the Hebrew speakers were taking care of their own. The daily distribution, this was food. They would give food daily to help uh, feed them. And so uh, they were the neglecting those who spoke Greek. Now, whether or not it's malicious or intentional, we don't know. It doesn't say. But whatever's happening, it's just happening. And so the Greek speakers are complaining. And now something you've got to know, too, is that a movement of God is often followed by complaints that could introduce derailment. You know, actually, I'm, I'm going to change that. I, I was looking over this this morning. A movement of God is often followed. I'm going to say accompanied instead of followed. A movement of God is often accompanied by complaints that could introduce derailment, that could derail God's movement if too much focus is placed on the complaint instead of Jesus. And so these guys raised this complaint. And the complaint in this church, in the midst, I mean, there's no doubt, it's a movement of God, yes? Thousands of people are getting saved all over the place. I mean, just imagine it on a scale of the queen, okay? If we were to take uh, uh, ratios of uh, first century Jerusalem and drop it right on the ratios of a map of the queen, we're talking, we walk outside tomorrow in the Walmart parking lot and hundreds of people get saved. Hundreds. To the point... You know, you've heard me talk about tipping the scales of the census that's coming this year. I mean, it would be like the whole city getting saved. I mean, just unbelievable. Drugs would not be accessible because all we're getting is Jesus. I mean, this is just amazing stuff's going on. And so people are getting saved. All, I mean, this is a massive movement of God. And this complaint rises up in the middle of it that could potentially cause division in the midst of the church. And this is exactly what Satan does. This is what he does. God's moving in a powerful way. People are getting saved. Lives are getting changed. I mean, you've seen it here. I mean, over the last month, how many times has the baptism, the water's been stirred? Almost every single week. Almost every week over the last month. And, and God's doing something incredible. But that just means the enemy's coming. He's, he's coming. He's gonna, some of you have already heard it. He's already introducing stuff in, the, in your minds that are going to cause problems. And I'm going to tell you, what Bob Newhart said in that fantastic sketch, stop it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to Google that. Bob Newhart, stop it. And you're going to have a great seven minutes this afternoon. It's going to be phenomenal for you. But the enemy plants this mess in there. Whether it started with the Hebrew speakers just not seeing the need of the Greek speakers and just focusing on their own. And this complaint rises up that has potential to implode all that God's doing. And that complaint that had arisen from the ranks gets all the way up to the 12, the 12, the leaders of this massive deal. Verse 2. So the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, a couple things. Uh, this complaint gets up to the 12, um, you know, through the gifting, through the assignment of Jesus, through the appointment of the church. I mean, there's 12. Uh, it was their job to preach. It was their job to pray. Uh, but what I find amazing is these guys are self-aware enough and convicted enough about their own personal assignment from Jesus 
that they knew that if they absorbed the complaint and handled it themselves, they would not be able to do what Jesus specifically gave them to do. And so they say, should we give up what we've been assigned to do and serve tables? Now, that may seem like they're demeaning serving tables. They're not. They're not. They're just being factual. That's what it was. They're not saying, we're up here and serving tables is down here and we're not going to touch that. That's not what it's about. That's not at all what is going on here. I know some people would say, that's beneath me and I shouldn't do that. Some things I've heard in our hallways when, when, when we've needed help, maybe in the children's area, somebody said, well, I've served my time. I've already done that. That's beneath me, is what they're saying. That's wrong. That's wrong. I tell you, I mean, just as a, this isn't in my notes at all, completely as an aside, I learned this as a young child. My dad was a music minister, still is, a very large church. And I would go with him on Saturdays up to the church to, to make sure everything was set up. And my dad is up there on the stage. I'm about to max in. Let's see if I get some feedback here. No, we're good. And we would go up, and they would have, they would, sometimes they would have risers for a choir, sometimes it would just be the musicians. And he would go back there, um, and with the way the stage was situated, and they would have the microphones, and all the mics, like this one's got a cord here. The mics would all have a cord sitting there, and it would be like this. On the Saturday before Sunday, and Dad having, you know, big old huge staff or whatever, he would be up there on his knees on the platform, pulling the cords up, and he would be curling those cords up so they would look nice on the stage. But the thing was, with the monitors that were there, with the choir where they were situated, with the, front, with the, the, the main singers, I, I asked them one time, I can, this is imprinted on my brain. I said, Dad, nobody can see those cords except the person sitting right behind the mic. Nobody can see them. And he, he looked at me, and he said, yeah, but I know they're there. And God knows they're there. And I'm going to do my best, even if nobody can see it. Because it's not for them. It's not for these people. I know that it's for Jesus. And I want to put it out there as the best. The best. And so these guys, these apostles, these disciples knew nothing is beneath where God wants me to serve and what God has assigned me to do. But if I neglect my assignment in order to do this other thing, I'm neglecting the very thing Jesus told me to do in order to fulfill this. Yeah, that needs to get done. Yeah, that's important. But that's not my assignment. And if these guys did that, they would be taking away somebody else's assignment and doing it themselves. And so, I mean, it, just, it really boggles my mind. I mean, it, it's really amazing. These guys were self-aware enough to say, if we step over here and handle this, we will not be able to do to the full capacity what God has assigned us to do. And we will do it to a degree that is not worth the worship that he deserves. They would be doing less than 100% in the assignment from Jesus. And the thing is, your assignment, your giftedness, and he's gifted each and every one of you if you are a follower of Jesus in a way that he has not gifted anybody else. You've got a certain combination of spiritual gifts that will help you fulfill to the nth degree the assignment Jesus has given you. And he gave you an assignment he didn't give me. He gave 
my kids an assignment he didn't give me. He gave my wife an assignment he didn't give me. And I can't fulfill their assignment the way he designed it to be fulfilled. I can't fulfill your assignment. You can't fulfill mine. We all have our own unique assignment and gifting from God to fulfill. And your assignment from Jesus is far too valuable to give less than 100%. To give less than 100%. The prayer would be we would all be personally self-aware enough just like, these, just like these 12. Let me illustrate it for you a little bit. Brandon Sims, you help me out just a second? I usually ask if I'm going to get some volunteers, but I forgot. So Brandon's going to help me out. Will you grab that gray chair right there? And bring it over here, set it in the middle. So here, just, just set it right there. Let's say, good job, stay with me just a second. Let's say God were to ask you, give you $100 and say, all right, I want you to go and buy a $100 chair. This is your $100, go buy a $100 chair. And he says, this is the exact chair I want you to get. This is it. That one. Why don't you tell me if it's comfortable? Have a seat. It's not going to fall. I didn't loosen any of the things. I tested it out. Is that a pretty comfortable chair? More comfortable than the green pew? Yeah. Okay, there we go. All right. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> but instead of taking the $100, just hang on, I've got to get you another something in just a second. Instead of taking the $100 on your way to buy the chair, you see some other things. Oh, hey, you know, I know the church needs a couple of light bulbs, and you walk in Walmart, buy a couple of light bulbs with that $100. Oh, you know what? I know, I know we need some more cups in the kitchen, and you go in, and you get some more cups for the kitchen, and you do that, this, that, and the other thing. And it comes down to the chair aisle, and you get there, and you realize, I've only got 10 bucks left. You can grab that other chair over there for me. You say, well, I know I need to get a chair. God told me. That's my assignment. It's going to do the job. Why don't you try that one out for us? <laughs> Which one's more comfortable? You going to try this one again? Try that one again? It's more comfortable, isn't it? Oh, yeah. No doubt. Is there God-ordained chairs? All right, thanks, Brendan. You see, this is an illustration of what we often do. We've been given an assignment from God to give 100% of what we have. And it's incredible. This chair is actually from a chair maker that designs chairs for churches. It's designed to receive people for the length of a service, if you catch me. Um, and this chair is designed for cheap. <laughs> uh, but what we often do is we take our assignment and we farm out our energy on other things and our attention on other things. And then we come to Jesus and we say, here you go. Here's the chair. Here, here, here it is. And we offer it to him. When he asks for this, 100%, and we may give him 10%, maybe, maybe, of our giftedness, of our assignment. And these disciples, these 12, 
He said, I'm not willing to give Jesus less than what he asked of me. And so, look at what they do. Verse 3. So the 12 suggest this. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. That's a good reputation. Who are full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So they suggest, let's find somebody who is full of the Spirit and who is gifted enough in this area to do it. And let's let them do it. They didn't want to deprive somebody else of fulfilling their gift. They didn't want to take away the opportunity of somebody else from doing what they were assigned to do and taking it on themselves. And when you get to heaven, do we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Or just, hey, I'm glad you're here. Well done means you've done well. So I say, pick out seven who are full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Now notice this. I, this is amazing, right? There, these, these seven are going to be given a task, a, a responsibility, a physical duty of something to do, a responsibility to organize the distribution of food. But notice in the, the job requirements or, or, or the qualifications they give for these people. They have a good reputation. They're full of the Spirit. They're full of wisdom. You have no organizational or administrative experience listed there. They don't say, do these guys have the skill set? Have these guys organized anything on a grand scale like this before? That's not the question that's asked. What's asked is, are they full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. That other stuff you can learn, but are they full of the Spirit? Are they full of wisdom? That's what we need in that role. People who are full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. Not people who are full of experience. Now these guys may have been. We don't know. All they really cared about is they, are they full of the Spirit? Are they full of wisdom? Pick these people. They knew that in picking these guys, if the spiritual aspects of their character were out of whack, the unity that they were seeking to mend would be destroyed. And so they needed the spiritual to be right. And they would work on the other stuff later. The 12, still speaking of verse 4. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Now, I read all those names, and undoubtedly, I mean, this is seven people they chose from among thousands. These guys are exceptional. Exceptional. But it's the descriptors on Stephen that catch me. He is a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. It's not saying the other guys didn't have faith or didn't have the Holy Spirit, but there's something about Stephen that set him apart. As a Christian, how would you like those words to be said of you? A man full of faith, a woman full of faith, and full of the Holy Spirit. And that's how people know you. That's your legacy. Not as a complainer. Numbers chapter 11 is all about that. A person full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, is who he is known as. 
And so you have these seven, and God designed these seven guys and gifted them specifically for both this immediate assignment, but also more assignments down the road, as we're going to, as you see in, in the following chapter, or I guess almost immediately after this, Stephen, and then a little bit later, Philip, we see how they're gifted and how God uses them in more than just this one aspect here. And God cares for what's going on, and that's why he sent these guys to this assignment. But God cares for you and your situation just the same that he cared for them, that church, and their situation. There's people here in Acts 6. And though at times you may feel overwhelmed and even unprepared for the assignment God may have handed you, he's still walking there with you. He cares for you. He has supplied you with everything you need through the Holy Spirit in order to accomplish the specific task, the specific assignment right in front of you. God handmade you with every gift and skill needed to accomplish your current assignment. He gave it to you. He gave it. And he can supply it and he can grow it and he can increase it if our focus is on Jesus and not on something else. These guys step into this role, these seven. We don't know what ends up happening in far, as far as the specifics. These, these seven, did they you know, set up more tables for the Greek speakers than the Hebrew speakers and that caused more problems? Or did they make sure, okay, we got 25 tables and they got 25 tables even though their tablecloths look nicer than our tablecloths, but we got to make sure we wash our tablecloths so they're whiter than their tablecloths. And don't spill anything on my tablecloths because this is our special tablecloths and we put, put them in a locked closet so nobody else can use them. If you're part of a Baptist church anywhere, you know some of that's <laughs> true, right? None of that's going on here. Because it's all about their assignment to help bring people and unify the church and bring them to Jesus. And what's about to happen? I'm going to preface verse 7. It's not, what happened is not happening because the 12 did everything on their own. Okay? What's about to happen happens because the people are using their own gifts to accomplish their assignment. Verse 7. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So it says, the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. They added greatly? No. They multiplied we're talking exponential growth here, not simple addition. This is multiplication. We're getting way down on that multiplication table to the big numbers here. This is huge. I mean, people are using their gifts, and, and the church is exploding in a way that it hasn't before. And look at the specific thing that he says. Uh, the priests, a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Some of the very guys, uh, you know, who are supposed to hate Christianity— are getting saved. Some of the guys whose, whose leaders, whose direct supervisors voted to kill Jesus, those guys are getting saved. This is a great many of, a great many, this isn't a little bit, this is enough to stem, to, to, to take notice of the Jewish church. I mean, this is very significant that this is happening. Truckloads of people are getting saved. 
The city itself is upended for the gospel. The city itself is upended for the kingdom because people are using their gifts to accomplish God's purpose. And so that falls back on us. We must accomplish our assignment. You must accomplish your assignment. Your assignment. Because your assignment's been given to you. It hadn't been given to the person sitting down the row from you. It hadn't been given to the pastor. It hadn't been given to your spouse, unless it's a joint assignment, like raising your kids, and it's been given to both of you. Taking out the garbage, that assignment's been given to everybody who lives in the house. And if you have kids, it's been given to them. But (laughs) accomplish your assignment that you've been given to the best of your ability and and give 100% to your assignment. Because transparently, a lot of times, I'm offering this. I feel like, you know, sometimes we may be gifted in an area. And you may have heard me say this, but we sometimes we lean on our gift instead of leaning into it. And we don't devote time to it. We say, oh, I'm gifted in that. I, you know, I'll just put it off and I'll be able to just wing it and, and, and do whatever because I'm gifted in that way and, and I can just, just do it. And so I'm not going to give it my 100%. I'm going to expend my energy in all these different areas. And when I finally come to Jesus and offer him the fulfillment of my assignment, that's what I'm giving him. See, it's a seat, Jesus. That's what you asked for. It's a seat. But when he asks for this and I give him that, I'm doing a great disservice to my assignment, to my calling. And to anybody who's watching me fulfill my assignment. Like those five little people who are in my house. It's not just about me. It's about how I'm showing them to follow Jesus. And I want them to see this. I want them to see 100% given in service to my assignment for the kingdom. It's all about accomplishing my assignment. And helping us all as a church, as the people of God, as followers of Jesus, accomplish our own individual assignments. And in just a minute, we're going to do something unique about this. See, we all have an opportunity about protecting our own personal 100%. Protecting our 100%. Being self-aware like these 12 were. But also... Not neglecting our assignment. Saying, God has assigned me this, and so I'm just going to let somebody else handle that. And I'm just going to step back because I'm scared. You know, I'm, I'm not being bold right now. I'm just going to let somebody else pick up the slack on my assignment, and I'm just going to sit back and, and not even deal with it. Accomplishing your assignment sometimes means stepping up and say, I know you've got something else to do. Let me take this. I can, I can do this. And fulfilling that and, and, and stepping into a role that may be uncomfortable, but you know deep within your gut you've been called to. It may not be pretty. It may not be glamorous. But if you've been called to it, you're doing it for Jesus. No matter what it is. No matter what it is. 
We're all called, ultimately, to point everybody to Jesus. That's our commission. That's our purpose. And whatever specific avenue we're given to do it, we should do it. And so these guys here, uh, in Acts chapter 6, these seven, they step up and they serve in this phenomenal way. And in just a minute, we're going to have an opportunity to witness this exact same thing, this exact same scenario. You see, Scripture talks about different uh, assignments giving in an official capacity in the church. It talks about a pastor, it talks about a leader, and it talks about another role called a deacon. A deacon. The literal translation of that word is servant. It's mentioned several places in Scripture. We don't know if these seven were, were actual deacons, but we do know the role they stepped into is the role that's described by Paul uh, and by Peter as the role a deacon will undertake. One who is unifying in God's purpose and God's church and who is a, a, accomplishing their specific assignment. And it is an official capacity. It is an official role. It's mentioned all over the place in Scripture by uh, uh, the apostles and their description of the church. One of the letters in the New Testament is actually written to the elders and the deacons of the church. You know, this is, I wasn't going to mention this. Some of you, and myself included, have been in Baptist churches for a thousand years, and this is going to make you really uncomfortable. If you haven't been in Baptist church very long, just look around the room when I'm saying what I'm about to say, because you're going to see some people go, hmm. There's one place in Scripture where someone is mentioned by name as a deacon. It only happens one place. The role's mentioned, the role's described. Only one person is mentioned by name as being a deacon. This person is a deacon. And most of our Bible translations, it will say it in the footnote, not in the text, because the translators are scared. It's in Romans chapter 16, verse 1. The person's name, Phoebe. It was a woman. Did you see people get a little uncomfortable there for a second? We're too Baptist for that. That's the only person mentioned in Scripture as the title of a deacon in Romans chapter 16. Well, like I said, most of our translations will have it in the footnote. But a deacon is a person who serves at the full capacity of what God has assigned. doesn't mean they're not going to fail. We all do. We all stumble. We all struggle. We all do. Preacher does. It just means they have been, the way we do it is the way they did it here in Acts chapter 6. The church nominates people who they believe fulfill these things, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. Deacons who have been ordained take that pray over that. And out of that, this past year came five names. Five names. Those five people sat before the ordained people of the church. They were asked questions about their faith, about their testimony. Because, because putting someone in this role that you guys as the church nominated is tantamount to saying we endorse these people. We endorse them. Putting our stamp on them. These are called out by God to fulfill an assignment, to be unifiers in God's church. And they sat, they were questioned, um, 
I remember when I was ordained, it's nerve-wracking. You can ask the guys later because you never know what questions are going to come out of the blue. And sometimes they're kind of crazy questions, right, Al? Sometimes they're, they're intimidating questions. Uh, and uh, I, I remember there were, when I was ordained, one guy asked some crazy off-the-wall theological question, and I'm sitting there sweating. Bu- I think they've got me. You guys who got ordained here had it lucky. I was on a stage, and those guys are sitting in chairs. I was just sweating bullets, and they asked me these questions. And uh, we asked them questions, and then... The ordained guys talk about it, take a vote, pray. And these guys who are going to come today, these five who are coming today to be prayed over, just as these guys had the uh, people came, laid hands on them and prayed over them, we're going to do the same thing today. It's not a, a uh, giving over of a role by placing a hand on them. There's nothing special about that. But it is a physical act that represents what's going on in our spirit as we recognize these people. Saying God, our church called them out as, as being full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. And they're going to help all of us as a church fulfill God's purpose here in Queen and around the world in accomplishing this. And so as issues will arise in the church, this is just a call to the church as a whole. As issues arise, as you see what we saw here in Acts chapter 6, there's something over here that could cause great division. Here are your first responders, these deacons. The ones who jump in the foxhole. The ones who jump in the burning building. These are those guys spiritually. These are those people spiritually for our church. Great people. Phenomenal people. And we're going to pray over these five today. They're representing, in, in their physical act of coming forward and us praying over them, they're asking our help and our prayer as they attempt to fulfill their assignment, accomplish their assignment, give 100% to what God's called. It's, it's, it's incredibly humbling. So we're going to have these guys come. So I'm going to ask those five guys, and if you've got family with you, y'all Family, come and stand behind them. Y'all just spread out across the front here. These five. Brandon, Chris, Don, Darren, Jason. Y'all spread out. Nobody wants to come in the middle. Darren will. Come on, Darren. Give me some. There we go. All right. Thank you. And uh, we're going to have anybody's welcome to come and pray. We're going to ask the, the, our deacons, our ordained people who've already been called out, to come and pray over these guys first. And then if you feel so called or connected to any one of these individuals, you can as well come and pray over them and uh, commission them for God's work in their assignment here today. But also, if anybody needs to pray about your own 100%, as you see these guys stepping forward and saying, this is something we are going to attempt to do is accomplish our assignment. If you need help accomplishing your assignment, you can come and pray down here for yourself. You can grab somebody else in the room or grab somebody who's in line praying for one of these guys and say, hey, I'm going to pray for you. I need you to pray for me right now. You're praying for the I need you to come and pray for me. And if you're, yeah, Jerry Don's right. If you're a deacon, you can come on and pray too. You can get ready. Uh, if you need prayer, come and pray. Pray for boldness. Pray even to recognize what your assignment is. Maybe your spiritual vision is muddied and you need help. Pray for boldness, perseverance. And if you need to accept your assignment, come. If you need to believe in Jesus, come. Grab any of these guys. I will be here. Micah will be here as well. 
And so I'd ask you now, as, as we pray, I'm going to pray, then we're going to have this moment. Stephanie, will you play over our prayer time here? And then um, I will close us in prayer. But this is a special commissioning to accept the assignment, follow the assignment, fulfill the assignment.